0: We'll just bring this this, um, Bible study before the Lord tonight. Father, we just come before you this evening in the matchless name of Jesus. And we thank you for this incredible technology that links us from all around the world at this time, Father. That we might share your word, that we might praise you through through Jesus and the Christ the Cross that has united us all together as well. So Father, we just thank you now and we just pray that everything that we think, do and say this evening would be a sweet savour before your throne. And we ask now in the matchless, matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 All right. Now, um, we've, we've got um, uh, empty chairs in here because we've just had a, a bit of a run of... Um, Um, ill health, so we we just uh, decided to do a full Zoom tonight, we'll be back to normal next week. And for those who are just joining, like Scott and Sharon's mum, we're going through the uh, book of uh, First uh, Letter to the First Corinthians, and uh, it's uh, an amazing um, letter, actually. The, The more you get into it, the more that you find and you dig down into it, and it's incredible. But we're starting on chapter two tonight, but for, um, for our newcomers tonight, I'll just run through some very um, uh, basic things that we learned about. Corinth was an amazing city in, in ancient Greece, and it was second only to Athens. And uh, it was one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the um, Roman Empire. In fact, it is oh. uh, an, uh, outline, so it's of Rome. And uh, the problem wasn't that you could uh, imagine, and uh, it was also an extraordinarily wealthy um, city, uh, and, and that also leads to its problems. It had a massive uh, temple to Artemis above, uh, um, in the Acro-Corinth, uh, uh, up above. Uh, the city and unfortunately it had uh, over a thousand uh, female prostitutes that used to be there during the day and then even worse they used to come down to the city at night time and all sorts of things happened so when you go through the the two letters to the Corinthians um, you can find a lot of a lot about ancient uh, Greece and especially Corinth but Paul is addressing uh, some of the issues that uh, that occur in this church, and it's fascinating because it applies. I've got here some notes saying that it's a letter to the church of all ages, and Paul opens by stating the reality that belonging, uh, the reality that belongs to every born again believer, and that is their position in Christ. And in chapter one, Paul goes uh, from verse two to nine to state what is our position before God our Father when we are in Jesus Christ and when we are born again believers uh, we started uh, just before Christmas last year doing a series called the 33 things and that's the positional uh, truth that we hold in Christ and uh, one of the one of the amazing things is is that is hardly ever taught in the churches today who we are in Christ and what we have as our power and authority in Jesus Christ, as Christians in this world, and believe me, we're in a time now when we really do need to know what our power and our authority is. And um, it, it's just fascinating to see that the tumult that's happened this year. I, I you know, this whole COVID nineteen thing, uh, is, it fascinated me because it actually drove churches to do what we're doing now, to use technology to reach out to people that we would not have normally reached as well as our normal congregation. And I'm reminded of the the statement that Joseph uh, said to his brothers uh, when he revealed himself uh, to them when they had finally come down to Egypt uh, uh, and and met this guy who was Prime Minister of uh, Egypt under Pharaoh. And, uh, they were astonished that it was actually Joseph and Joseph said to them, what you meant for evil, God turned out to make good. And this is what I find, uh, has happened now with COVID-19 that, you know, it was like Satan and Bill Gates tried to ruin Western society and shut down churches around the world. But what it's done is it's actually made churches flourish in many ways that none of us could ever have understood. And it's also been really, really fascinating that a lot of pastors in other churches, not only in Australia, but in, uh, around the world, particularly in the West have found that a lot of people who used to come to church just as a matter of habit, have faded away and not returned since the restrictions have been um, lightened. And the fascinating thing is that many people who didn't come to church beforehand have been seeking answers to the things that have been happening in this world in the last six months. And it's drawn them to, not only to Jesus, but to fellowships and to uh, conversations with uh, with believers, in order that they might understand what's happening in the world today, and it's it, it's just I sit back in awe at the way that God um, always triumphs in situations where sometimes we feel that uh, you know that that evil and lawlessness is getting the upper hand, uh, and it, it really does um, um, encourage me that as we see the day drawing closer, we are valuing fellowship more and more. In fact, um, we're, we're kind of almost getting close to running out of room in the, in the uh, building that we're in now. And when we have uh, a cafe fellowship afterwards, it's just uh, the whole place is just a buzz and alive with uh, people just talking to each other, encouraging one another. So for me, that's just an amazing thing about this time of year. Um, Scott laughed uh, when we were talking uh, on Sunday in the cafe that uh, he said his wife and family had been following uh, from early on in the COVID times and he said, you really didn't like cameras, did you? And I said, no, like, you know, I love people and I love a pulpit and I love a room and that sort of thing. And I was never um, a particular fan of technology, but I am amazed now at what technology has allowed us to do. So it's all glory to God because he's in total control of everything. In verses two to nine, we get this position that we have in Jesus Christ. And, you know, in, in, in in one thing, in one verse in in the, in the section, Paul says that we are enriched in everything that we need through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that reminds me of uh, Ephesians uh, one, three, and it's, Paul says the same thing to the same church, but only different issues come up in the letters to various churches. But in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And that means we have everything we need to become mature or complete in Jesus Christ as a gift to, God, to us from God, through his grace and his mercy and his love that we have everything that we need the moment we are born again. And, and that if you, if you dwell on that in the coming days and weeks, you will be amazed at what the the love that God has for us and the blessings that he he has bestowed on us. But in verses 10 to 17, Paul admonishes this church for allowing factions to flourish and damaging the witness of the church to unbelievers in Corinth. And it's bad enough in secular workplaces and clubs and organisations. And we all know, we've all been there. We've all been in, in certain um, um, gatherings of people, uh, me in workplaces, Sue so and her teaching or organisations or schools and very things. The cliques always form with little groups of people coming together um, and it's amazing how divisive that can be in a, in, a, in a workplace. But the worst thing that that can happen is in churches. It's manifestly worse when people in church congregations indulge in in becoming uh, parts of little groups within a, a larger group because people follow uh, fashionable themes that are, are, are in the church at any one time. And, and Sue and I, we've been believers for thirty years. And we have seen so many things over those 30 years um, and people rush off in one direction and they rush off in another direction, whatever is the um, the, the, the favored sort of manifestation at the time, people sort of are drawn to it or repelled by it. And Paul is really emphasizing to the Corinthian church that in this, there is absolutely no benefit to the church because it damages the witness of the body of Christ to whichever setting God places it in and just to just to um, emphasize this if you've got your Bibles I hope you've all got your Bibles and I want you to turn to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6 if you can and in Proverbs 6 we're looking at verses 16 to 19 and there's more than one of these warnings in through Proverbs. We did this quite extensively when we were in chapter 1. But in Proverbs 6:16 6, to 19, it starts off with, These things, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. And the last one is the kicker and one who sows discord among the brethren. And that's factionalism. And this is what Paul is really upset about uh, in the Corinthian church. Uh, Chloe had written to him when he was in Ephesus at the time. And she was concerned that people were aligning themselves behind either Paul or Apollos or Peter or Christ. And and. and Paul really uh, gets in amongst this issue and saying that's not what we're um, what we're all about. And in verses 18 and 19, he really hammers home the message that should not unite all believers, and that is specifically the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that has to be the center point of any and every um, denomination. And, you know, it really... It saddens me that uh, to watch what's happening in the church uh, in so many different countries, but particularly in the West. Uh, I, Sue and I go on uh, online and we listen to various uh, messages from all around the world, and it's astonishing how the cross and the power in the cross and the, the uh, incredible blessings that we receive as believers – From what happened on the cross is just not being preached and and I made one one sort of written comment when I was preparing tonight's message And and the the really sad thing for me is that? theology in the modern church has been replaced by sociology so theology the study and knowledge of God has been replaced by sociology that is the social gospel that we should all be running around doing good things for uh, uh, people in need and all the rest of it. We do those things as a service to God, but it does not and should never be the the main um, cause of coming together in a church. the The main thing that we must have always is Jesus Christ must be central to the to the identity of the fellowship. to the preaching that goes on in that fellowship and the thing that unites all of us in fellowship. And one of the things that I'm absolutely astonished about in in Calvary Chapel, Perth, that as it's been growing over the last two years, there's such a warmth of fellowship and a strong bond between us all. And I just pray that that never, ever, ever is, is challenged by chasing after um, um, ideologies that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And now in tonight's study, we're going to have a look at the first eight verses of chapter two. And Paul is still emphasizing the centrality of Jesus Christ. And I don't know, I, I've, I've heard, I've had people coming up to me in the last few months because of COVID-19, because of us being online. And, and they've been saying to people in the church that, you know, this is, one of the few places where they hear Jesus Christ and the gospel given um, virtually every week that, that is that you know is impacting their lives. And and I and for some of you who are not on the, the Calvary Chapel WhatsApp, and you're welcome to join if you want to, is that two of our members had had opportunities uh, yesterday to actually share the gospel and lead one of the people to Christ uh, and you know it just was an amazing thing that both of these things happened on the same day and it's because that we are getting back to the basics of the message of Christianity and that's Jesus and him crucified the power of God and the glory of God and Paul is going to concentrate on this in in chapter 2 And I'm going to read those verses to you. Normally we would share around the group, but it's a little hard tonight. So I'm just going to read to you the verses that we're going to have a look at and then we'll go back and do each um, verse individually. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. Oh, what a brilliant passage. And let's go back to verse 1 and just have a look at what's, what's in verse 1. And, you know, in every verse there's a goldmine. There's, there's just a nugget to come out of virtually every line. And when Paul says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech. And there are various translations, but Paul is saying, I did not come to you um, as a powerful speaker like Apollos or a lot of the people that uh, are on even YouTube today who, who mesmerize people with the power of the oratory. And you know, when I was doing my studies years ago, I came across um, a quote by Jerome. Jerome was uh, an early church father in the um, third century uh, and fourth century. He he spanned both of them. And he was born in Croatia. And the fascinating thing is he died in Bethlehem. He spent the last years of his life uh, actually, he maintains that he, he was living actually in the cave in the hillsides around Bethlehem that Jesus was actually born. Um, and I don't know if that's true. I don't know if you could isolate it, but Jerome maintained that he was. But he was an early church leader. And he, uh, when I was listening to Chuck Missler years ago, Chuck Missler actually quoted Jerome uh, giving a description of the Apostle Paul. And for what it's worth, this is, this is uh, Jerome's description of Paul. And it sort of suits verse 1. Because Paul, Jerome says that Paul was four foot nine tall. He was bald. He had big ears, a giant hook nose, and red weeping eyes with a speech defect. And so he, he was, look, when we're discussing the whole thing in this, in this um, first stage of the, the letter to the Corinthians, the first four chapters, is paul is is contrasting the wisdom of god with the wisdom of men now if you and i or any organization or any uh, modern church wanted to send out an emissary to spread the message what would we do we'd get some good-looking person who was um, a, a powerful speaker a, a, an engaging personal personality um uh, with you know, all the sort of speaking abilities that you could wish for in order to spread your, your message. But look who God used to take the gospel to the Roman Empire in these days. He, he, he just chose someone who if they walked in the door, you'd be surprised in the least. And, and but he, but further on, he comes, Paul states that he came to the church in the demonstration of God's power and in the spirit. And this is this is so so interesting. Why would God choose someone like that? Well, I want you to turn now as an answer to that question. I want you to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Because this is not the first time that God has done this to pick someone that you and I wouldn't pick if we were sending out an ambassador on our, on our behalf. And in Exodus chapter three, it's one of my favorite chapters because Moses is wandering along in, in uh, uh, Midian and he's now been 40 years, a shepherd in Midian under Jethro, his father in law having been a Prince of Egypt for 40 years and committed murder. And so he had to take off and he's wandering along and he's at the base of the Mount Horeb. and Mount Horeb is the very place where a few um, uh, a couple of years later he is actually going to receive the law from Jesus on the mountain the two tablets and everything else that he's given uh, the the plans for the tabernacle in the wilderness that he received in his 40 days up on Mount Horeb. but here he is wandering around the base of Mount Horeb and he sees a bush burning and he turns to the right and observes this thing. And in chapter three it says the bush was being, was burning, but it was not being consumed. And the bush, according to rabbinical legend, was an acacia bush, uh, which was frequent in the desert. And the acacia bush is a symbol of sin. And it's fascinating that it was on fire, but not yet being consumed. And fire is idiomatic right throughout the um, Bible of, uh, of the wrath of the justice of God or the punishment of God. So. Moses turns aside because he wants to know why this bush is burning and yet it's not burning up. And as he approaches it, a voice comes out of the bush and we know that it's Jesus and he knows that he tells him to take off his shoes. And he knows, he then starts to give uh, uh, Moses his new job description. And so all of chapter three is is God saying that he's heard the cry of the people of Israel and that he's going to send Moses um, to to Egypt to release the people from their captivity. And I really like um, what happens in in chapter four, verses four to 10. Um, It's, you know, this is... Only um, only Moses could get away with this. And in, both, uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, And then the Lord says to Moses, oh sorry, I'll go back to verse 1. Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And so in the next couple of verses, he gives him a demonstration of his sovereign power. He, he asks uh uh, Moses to throw down his rod it turns into a snake and Moses jumps back in, in fear then he turns his hand leprous and uh, then pulls it out and cures it and Moses is astonished but he really doesn't want the job and go to verse 10 this is the this is the kicker then Moses said to the Lord oh my Lord I am not eloquent neither before Or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am what? I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And so the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. He just didn't want the job. And I suppose if you've been a shepherd in Midian for 40 years, you haven't had to engage in lots of eloquent philosophical discussions and use your voice. So he had learned to be quiet for such a long time. He didn't want the job. And he said, "I'm not eloquent. I'm I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue." And we all know that eventually he has to go. And look at the at the um, at the parallels in the scripture. Here in the Old Testament, he is sending Moses, who complains that he's not an eloquent speaker, to Egypt to set the Israelites free. And here in the New Testament, he's picked someone who's not excellent in public speaking but he he unravels he unleashes he he publicizes the gospel of jesus christ virtually around the roman empire and that when you look why would god do that because god does that to confound human wisdom because it's precisely not what we would do and that's what Paul's trying to make the point to these these Corinthian people and to the Pro- Corinthian believers and if you can turn back to 1 Corinthians what there it is. so he's chosen two people that you and I wouldn't speak but it, it re-emphasizes the wisdom of God and one of the uh, uh, some some of my notes here and i'll I'll make them available on the website for anyone that wants to um, um, download them and have a check of the verses but one of the great failings of the church particularly since world war ii and since the advent of television is that many many people have been um following what we would call powerful orators who mesmerize people almost to the stage of hypnotizing them and you know we've all been um um, taken in, not not so much taken in but we have been drawn for a period of time to very powerful orators and one of the things that paul is saying that you are supposed to be mature believing christians and you're supposed to be able to discern between the delivery of the message and the content of the message and what so many people, uh, and Sue and I were in a church of a thousand strong, and we, um, uh, we spent 10 years there way back in the 90s, and we had many, many, many um, uh, guests from overseas who had high reputations, uh, and they were engaging, charismatic people but i can remember the most compelling person that sue and i ever heard in those in the 1990s was one person who came on a wet cold rainy wednesday night and uh, all he could afford was an old black and white laptop and he was about to do a powerpoint presentation for to back up his his, uh, sp- the, his talk to the group uh, who came along on the Wednesday night, and his laptop wouldn't work, so he just had to speak the message without any visual aids, and he was uh, stuttering and stammering a little bit because he was put offside slightly by this the tech the technology bro- uh, breaking down, but in speaking the message out. Sue and I were sitting on the edge of our seats because we had never heard a message like this before and the the delivery was not perfect but the content was powerful and that person was Chuck Missler and it was from that time onwards that we sought out his teaching because the content of his messages that glorified Christ and his creation and the cross and everything in between was what drew us closer and deeper into God. So please, one of the messages that I want you to get out of tonight is it's not the ability to deliver a message, it's the content of the message. And that should always be um, our deciding uh, line for what we uh, are looking for when we go to church even when we fellowship one with another. And in verse two, Paul says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the one unifying truth, as I said before, is is the knowledge of and the belief in, and here's a little bit of um, theology for you, the vicarious, redeeming, substitutionary, Atoning death of Jesus. What does that mean? Vicarious? It means He's someone else has done it in your place, redeeming. We have been purchased by what He did. Substitutionary. He took our place on the cough uh, on the cross, and it's atoning because it frees us from the penalty of sin. And you know, Sue and I have been listening to messages recently. Uh, from churches within WA, and I would say 9 out of 10 have been sociology. Let's do good works. Let's go feed the hungry, clothe um, the downcast and the downtrodden, do the good things that, that Christians should do. But we do that. As a fellowship, we already do that. But we do that because Jesus has set us free and we do that as service to God. That is not the main um, purpose that Calvary Chapel Perth exists. What we do is we, we are here to present Jesus Christ to the community and him crucified. And therefore, because of what he has done for us on the cross, he has set or made available salvation for everyone. And that's what's been drawing people to this message. It's been unsaved people saying, I don't know what's going on in this world. Everything's gone crazy. Everything's been turned upside down. I want to know what is going on. And the fascinating thing is it's Christians that have the answers to these questions. It's you people out there on the screen and I can see all of you at the moment. There should be people in your family, people that you meet socially, people that you meet at work, that should be asking you what on earth is going on in this crazy world at the moment? And you can see in Victoria, Victoria thought it was coming out of something and now it's plunged back into something. And people are, are, are just amazed at what's going on in this world. And in the last, what, six months? none of us can believe the rapidity with which these things have happened. And J.D. Farragh, Pastor J.D. Farragh of Calgary Chapel in, in um, Hawaii said, if this has happened in the last six months with such speed and rapidity, can we imagine what's going to happen in the next six months? And so we, we are the ones who have the answers to people's questions. But the quest the answer to the question must always come back to Jesus. It must always come back to the fact that he has set us free that he has taken the place um, of everyone on the cross and that he has made salvation available to everyone and this is the problem that that um, that we've mixed the message um, almost like under under um, under an obligation to society in general and to governments in particular to soften the message and make it palatable to people. And to be quite frankly, when we've been doing Isaiah 53 at the church in the last couple of um, Sunday messages, Isaiah 53 is a graphic description of the cross and what happened on the cross. And that is not palatable unless it's been given to mature Christian believers. But it took that to provide salvation and make it available to all of mankind so that no one, no one has any excuse not to be able to come to Jesus Christ and receive the grace and the mercy that we have through him from the Father. And that should be the the message. And, And this is the message that Paul wants to get back to the Corinthian church to stop this factionalism to stop this arguing and stop this um, following uh, human beings instead of concentrating on Jesus Christ. And in in verse 3, we get to this this, this simple thing. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. If we had someone like that come into the church and come up to the pulpit and they were... um, mumbling and bumbling and shaking and and looking everywhere, but at the congregation, we'd wonder what was going on. But Paul was saying that when he came in amongst the the Corinthian society, it was a powerful demonstration of what paganism and humanism can do to, to, to people. It was, it was destroying the society. It was, um, blinding them to, to uh, the word of God. Even the, the Jewish synagogue that was in there was surviving, but it wasn't having an impact on, on uh, the whole population of Corinth. Corinth was absolutely obsessed by um, um, athletic prowess. They had, they had every two years there what they called the Peloponnesian games and in order to qualify for the peloponnesian games these were the parallel games to the olympic games in, in athens you had to train for nine months of the year before you were allowed to apply to uh, to compete in the peloponnesian games so everything was all about strength ability talent um, um stamina endurance physical um, majesty and what Paul was confronting when he turned up first to the synagogue and then to the wider Gentile community was this little bald elderly, elderly man, not powerful in his speech, not a debater, not a wise man, not a scribe, a, 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 a technical expert in the law, though he though he knew the law better than anyone else. But he looked nothing like what the people of Corinth. Would would be drawn to, but that's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God even even comes back to the cross. Who would think that the death of God's own Son on the cross would liberate humanity? That's not the way that we think, but it's the way that God thinks. And when we are born again, we are un, we are now able to understand. The majesty of what God has done for us as human beings and as believers. And Paul was saying to him, to them, um, I was before you in three aspects that would have would have stunned them: weakness, fear, and trembling. And let's go to verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and power. And when I was thinking about this particular verse, I um, was drawn back to a memory. Sue and I were were first in the Cottesloe Brethren Church nearly 30 years ago. And one Sunday, uh, we had a message, a sermon delivered to us by an elder And he was preaching a message on being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And this message was delivered in a quiet, near monotone, and it went on for about 45 minutes. And he hardly ever rose, lifted his head up and looked at the congregation. He was just quietly reading from some very well put together notes. But it was, it was um, uh, not exciting to listen to. It was delivered in a, almost a boring monotone. And there were some people in the church who were starting to move around and sort of get uncomfortable in their seats and all the rest of it. And, you know, some people were breathing and sighing and all the rest of it. But, you know, 30 years later, of all of the sermons that I heard in that church while we were there... That is the one that I remember the most because the content was powerful, even if the delivery was not um, what we would call um, uh, gifted. And, you know, that's, what, that's how God gets to us. He gets to us in the, the sincerity and in, in the genuineness of the message. And you know what, It was uh, when I looked at this verse 4, and in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, when I was listening to that sermon and being struck what a responsibility it is for each and every one of us here tonight to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ out into society, it was like the Holy Spirit was tapping me on the shoulder at that time and saying, you remember this. This is an important message. And you know, uh, it, it, it's I, I see now our two pastors from um, India, um, for those who don't know, Devadas is a, an Indian word meaning servant of God. And what they are doing is they are going out into their Hindu community and they are taking the message of Jesus Christ and the cross out to people who have never heard it before and they are having um, success in winning people to Christ, not to themselves, but to Christ. And you know, one, uh, you know, Davidus is, is is and us are nodding at the moment. And that is being an ambassador for Christ, because an ambassador is someone who's sent by the King out into the into the world, into the realm, with His power and His authority to do His work and represent Him into the realm so he can stay back on his throne and this is exactly what you and I have been called to in ambassadorship and this is the wonderful thing that happened to two of our ladies yesterday when they um, as as ambassadors for Christ delivered the message of the King to people who are asking the question what on earth is going on and one asked to be led uh, one asked uh, how do I get born again and and, uh, my wife led her in that that, uh, prayer and and invited her to church. The other lady said, I'm not quite yet ready to to pray the sinner's prayer, but I need to talk to you more about this. That's that ambassadorship. And 30 years later, when I heard that testimony testimony yesterday, I remembered that man's sermon. That's how powerful it was. And yet if I was to play you a recording of it, Half of you would go to sleep because it was so quietly delivered. But the content was absolutely brilliant. And that is where the spirit is active. It's, it's, it's if we receive the truth that's being spoken, not being mesmerized by powerful um, speaking. And in verse 5, we have that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, in the power of God and you know verse 4 and 5 seem to emphasize content not delivery and if you've got your Bible open and if you, you your um, your Bibles like mine uh, you only need to look across the columns and go back to verse 24 of chapter 1 in fact I'll go back to verse 22 22 23 and 24 For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews' a stumbling block and to the Greeks' foolishness. And here's the kicker. But to those who are called, that is, you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, That's that's the the ultimate wisdom and the ultimate power that you and I can rely rely on and lean on in this life. And you know, um, all of us are getting to that stage where, um, well, it's not all of us. Some of us are getting to that stage where, in our physical being, boy, do we have to lean on on Jesus Christ sometimes. And in our relationships and in our workplaces we're really having to um, draw on the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us going in 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 these weird and wonderful days and here I've, I've just made some some notes from Genesis 4 onwards because Jesus Christ is both the power of God to set man free and the wisdom of God that enables us to really get to know our Father in heaven from Genesis 4 onwards, from Cain murdering Abel, right up until Satan entered into Judas Iscariot in the, in the upper room in John 13, the devil tried everything he could to either stop the crucifixion from ever taking place or to alter the timing so that it would not be on Passover. Because he knew that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ would be his ultimate defeat and seal his future. And right the way through the Old Testament, we see attack after attack after attack on the line of righteousness. Um, After Cain murdered Abel, you have Genesis chapter 6 with the um, uh, the, 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 um, mess created by the sons of God uh, coming down, these are the fallen angels um, interacting with human women. That was Satan's design to destroy the human DNA such that that uh, the line of righteousness, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the savior of the world could not be born because we would have a polluted human race. And that is the reason for the global flood that's, that destroyed everyone except eight in a in a in a um, in an ark in a barge, and from even from there on. So we had the Tower of Babel. We had um, the the flourishing of Sodom and Gomorrah. We have everything all the way through that we have attacks on the line of righteousness. Even in Exodus chapter one, when we had Pharaoh delivering a message to the Jewish midwives of the time that every male Jewish child had to be thrown into the um, Nile river and drowned after birth. And that was, I'm sure the Pharaoh didn't even understand why he gave that um, command to the, to the midwives, but it was evil influencing to make sure that the line of righteousness, the line of Messiah could not come to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And uh, that is, been the, the the angelic conflict from the Garden of Eden right up to the cross and now that the cross has happened Satan has been working his his um, his plans and, and, and schemes on two groups of people a the Jews and then the church and he knows that uh, if he cannot stop us from being saved, the best thing he can do is to dilute or totally eliminate our witness to the unsaved world. And what do you think is happening at the moment? We're having the message of, the, of Jesus Christ diluted throughout churches such that there is no reason why anyone would want to come to church to get saved The only people that are drawn to churches that don't preach the message of the cross is that they like to do good works. And good works are absolutely no uh, pathway to salvation. And, you know, faith in the message of God, the cross, that Jesus took our place is what will save you and me. And it's the message that you have to give to unsaved people. Not... Yeah, yeah, the world, Yeah, as my wife just said, the world is full of organisations that do good works. But what, you know, one of my favourite Bible teachers right at the very beginning of my um, uh, of my uh, walk in faith was the si- very simple fact, and it hit me so hard when he said to it, he said, unsaved people can do everything that a Christian can do, except one thing. I'm going to say it again. I want you to really get this. Unsaved people can do everything that a Christian can do except one thing. And that one thing is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the salvation of all mankind. Unsaved people can't do that. Why? Because they don't believe that. And that's why they, they they simply cannot do it. So the the, the cross is hidden from from the great mass of humanity because the church has diluted its message down to meaninglessness. And if you if you've got your Bible open, please turn to Isaiah 64, and I just want to read you two verses, five and six. In Isaiah sixty four five and six. Sorry, just five. Uh, I five. know oh, five and six. Sixty four, five and six. So you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you and your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved but we are all like an unclean thing. And this is the kicker and all our righteousnesses in other translations in all our good works are like filthy rags without faith in Jesus Christ. All of our works of righteousness are unacceptable to God as a means to get us saved. The only way that we're ever going to be saved is by faith. And belief and trust in Jesus Christ and that's the message that we have to give out to the world and this is the message that Paul is telling these Corinthian believers that that is the centrality of the reason why they have been called the Church of God in verse 1 you know the wisdom of men have come up with so much in the last um, 20th century and some of it has been absolutely wonderful. But now we're turning the wisdom of mankind, as we've heard in the last sort of decade or so, we've been putting, put, we've been putting up with the science of so-called climate change, um, the, the, the uh, distortion of medical treatment to protect us from, from um, uh, diseases and everything else that's going on at the moment. You know, the wisdom of men is never, ever, ever going to solve the problems of mankind. Jesus Christ has already solved them. What we need to do is to share that message with humanity, and that's the message that Paul is getting through to these believers. Faith in the cross, faith in Jesus, preaching Jesus, the power of God and the wisdom of God is no comparison to running around doing good things for good people. It is the only way that we can get saved. And, you know, we're talking now about spiritual wisdom. And the things that really um, um, encourage me is this is what so many people in the church now have been encouraged to do in Calvary Chapel, Perth, have been encouraged to do that I'm hearing from people in the church so many testimonies that they're sharing Jesus with their workmates. We've even had workmates coming along to church from uh, uh, who have been alongside our members of the church because of the power of their testimony. And that to me is, you know, as a pastor, you just want to jump hula hoops and, and, and do everything. that, that People are, are taking the message and taking it out into the community. So when one voice speaks from the front on a Sunday, it's being magnified by 60 or 70 people out into the community. And that is a blessing beyond compare. It's absolutely uh, you know, it just gives me joy, and it keeps Sue and I going in this in this uh, whole venture now that we've been in there for two years. And in verse six, Paul says, "However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing." And when Paul's talking about maturity, he's talking about believers. And that word mature means uh, complete or um, um, filled. Uh, It it was a word that was used um, um, when they completed the temple in Jerusalem after 46 years of construction. And that same word in the Greek was saying the temple has been complete. And that word is being used by Paul specifically to these believers in in Corinth that he is speaking to them wisdom to people who are theologically mature but acting like children. And they're they're being drawn back from the the centrality of the message of Jesus Christ back into um, worldly carnal arguments about Who's the more um, um, impressive speaker in the church? Um, you know what what sort of uh, theology we should be looking at, following, etc., etc., etc. And and people, pe- uh, Paul is calling these people to maturity in Jesus Christ. And do you know the thing that thrills me really the most is that there are mature people coming to Calvary Chapel Perth because they want to be amongst like-minded people and you know it's such a joy listen it's such a joy to God to see these things happening and you know the tumult of the last six months has uh, it has a major impact on so many people and when I see those people um, in the towers locked in the towers in in Melbourne at the moment Sue and I were watching that on the TV last night and it was breaking our hearts because not only can they not get food, you know, uh, I, I'm wondering if people like us can actually even get in to, to come alongside them and help them out. Yes, there's practical things we can do with food and clothing and water and getting their medications for them. But in doing so, we would take, them, take to them the reason for the hope that we have within us. And there are so many opportunities that we can see around even Perth at the moment. Um, there are so many people, you know, in, in associated with the airports and the airlines and travel uh, agents, you know, Sue was just saying, um, yesterday that we're walking through our local shopping center and, you know, we see travel agencies closed. And, and um, you know, it's not that there's nothing happening in that little sort of um, space in a shopping center, but there were people there four or five months ago that had a job, had a, an income, had a lifestyle, level, and it's all been shattered. So there is, there is pain and there is tragedy. And as a fellowship, we're trying to help people through the Joseph Storehouse, but it, it gives us an opportunity to share the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the message of the hope that we have in him. And that is totally contrary to the wisdom of this age. It really is. And, you know, we see around the world, we see um, the president of France, the chancellor of Germany. We see the uh, Ayatollahs in Iran. We see um, the president of Turkey. We see all the rulers of this age who are doing everything they can to create chaos and the Bible actually says that they will come to nothing but in the process they are taking their peoples with them the leadership has has completely divorced itself from the God who created them and who enabled them to come to power they are destroying their people and Jesus came to save us, not to destroy us. And, you know, the, the, Paul is, is, is constantly exhorting us to, to really understand the motives that we have within us when we're out there in the community. And, and I must admit, I've seen people getting bolder and bolder and bolder because the situation is getting more and more and more desperate. We here, I can tell you right now, we here in WA are so blessed compared to the rest of this nation. We are so blessed to be here Um, uh, and and I've told the the congregation before, I think if you look back through the last 80 or 90 years of of, um, our existence as a state, we have been incredibly blessed by uh, a manufacturing and a mining component, uh, an agricultural um, component. Uh, We have been a a microcosm of blessedness. And a lot of people, um, I don't think truly understand sometimes why. Because in 1937, before World War II, Adolf Hitler um, gathered together in a little uh, town in France called Evian, which is where the spring water comes from. And he had 40 foreign ministers from 40 Western countries. And he told the people in these, uh, these foreign ministers from these countries that he was going to get rid of the Jewish people from um, Germany in, in the first place and that if anyone wanted to take them, they were happy to have all of the Jewish people from Germany. Now, it's a fact that that, um, a a mere handful of countries put their hand up and said, we will help. But the interesting thing about this, there was two people at that conference um, that were watching on behalf of the Jewish people. One was Golda Meir and the other was David Ben-Gurion. And they were both watching the world's attitude to the Jewish people. And do you know what? The state government of Western Australia at that time relayed a message to Canberra saying we're quite happy to take the entire pop Jewish population of Germany and we're going to put them in the Kimberley and they can, flourish and, and establish themselves there and unfortunately when that message was relayed to our foreign minister in france his attitude was we don't have a racial problem in australia and we don't intend to import one so we ended up not doing that but i believe sincerely in all my heart in the in the uh, uh verses two and three of uh, of genesis chapter 12 when God says to Abraham, whoever blesses you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And for me and my wife, for the last 25 years, we've had countless blessings um, given to us and showered upon us because we have blessed the people, the descendants of Abraham here in Perth and in Russia. And in Israel and other places um, and it, to me I, I just don't get why some Christians don't buy into that message if you want a blessing from God it's quite clearly stated in the scriptures that if you want a blessing you bless his people we are um, um, blessed through um, um, Abraham because it was through Abraham that we had Jesus so there is, there is like a payback requirement. But in verse 7, I want to sort of finish this off uh, quickly because it's 10 past. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before eight, the ages for our glory. For whose glory? for my wife's glory sitting next to me, for my glory, and I can see all your faces on the screen at the moment. This is the wisdom of God, and it's for our glory, and it's a mystery, and it's the hidden wisdom which God had ordained before the ages for our glory. So what is the hidden wisdom? What is the the mystery that, that is all about this that Paul is revealing now? There are things that believers picked up on the handful of believers that we had through the Old Testament that they were given the Levitical sacrificial system. What do I mean by this? That sin had to be paid for. And depending on the sin, there was a requirement for certain sacrifices to be made. And even though that was given in the Levitical system to the Jewish people through the Mosaic law that came from Moses to the the children of Israel in the wilderness, it was there right from the Garden of Eden. Because what happened to Adam and Eve the moment they fell? They ran away and did something. What was the thing they did? They, They hid, but they also, They covered themselves with fig leaves because they now knew after they had rebelled against God and had fallen, that they were now naked. So what what did they do? They went and um, sewed fig leaves together and clothed themselves in a covering. And what did God end up doing at the end of chapter 3? He ended clothing them up in what? Animal skins so what did that require it required the death of the animals in order to provide the skins to clothe adam and eve it required a blood sacrifice to clothe adam and eve and that was what he he was teaching them that sin had to be atoned for and it required um, a blood sacrifice in order to satisfy god and when cain murdered Abel in in the very next chapter, their children, Abel was bringing that very sacrifice to the Lord. It was the firstlings of his flock and it was the fact thereof. And Cain bought fruit and vegetables. And so Cain was, Cain knew this. Cain knew what was passed down from their parents because Abel knew it. So in In service and worship to God, Abel bought the sacrifice that was required by the system outlined by God to their parents, that it would require a blood sacrifice to approach God. And what did Cain do? He bought fruit and vegetables. There was no blood associated with it. He did social work. He did. Um, He brought the works of his own hands, which was what his parents did when they sewed together fig leaves. And so, you know, the apple doesn't fall, fall far, too far from the tree. But the Levitical system has been all the way through. And part of the Levitical system was Passover. And this is th- these are things, are types and shadows that when you are seeking after truth, when you are seeking after the God that created this universe, He will show you and give you an an understanding of types and and shadows of things to come. And in Passover, uh, we'll just finish up quickly. Uh, Can you turn to uh, Exodus chapter 12 and we'll just look at 1 to 7 because this is a typology that people should have seen right from the very start. Exodus chapter 12. And Paul is speaking about this, this mystery wisdom that were shadows and types of, of Jesus Christ to come. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying this month shall be the, your beginning of months and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Now this is the month of Nisan, which corresponds to our um, either March or April. And it, it, Just listen to what he's going to say. This is amazing. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all of the congregation of Israel, saying, I want you to pay attention closely to this. On the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So Israel was was commanded by God to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, take it into the household on the 10th of Nisan and inspect it for its suitability for sacrifice. And then four days later, it would then be sacrificed for the sins of that household. Go forward 1,500 years. What day was it that Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem? It It was the 10th of Nisan. Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan, and he remained in Jerusalem for four days and he was presenting himself in the temple once more. He was speaking to the people within the city, was crowded with people, but he was with his um, disciples and he was also, at the end of it, um, examined three times by Gentiles and three times by the Sanhedrin. And Pilate said it best of all, Pilate turned to the people of Israel and and said to them, I find no fault in this man. He was the perfect sinless sacrifice for sin. Even when John saw him for the first time in John chapter 1, when Jesus was walking to him as he was in the Jordan baptizing people, John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And in this typology that we read in Exodus chapter 12, Israel should have seen and known and understand that this man who had been amongst them for three and a half years was now riding on a donkey, according to Zechariah 9.9, into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan, And they then kept him in Jerusalem for four days. And before twilight on the fourth day, they sacrificed him. That is a typology that should just, just make you feel so amazed at how God does things. How his wisdom is totally opposite to the wisdom of the world that we live in. And you know what? Um, Just in the last sort of three or four months, um, you know, my wife and I have just been um, looking up to the sky frequently and saying, Lord, when are you please coming back for your church? When are you coming back for your uh, people? I mean, we have a a, a grandchild that's about to be born in uh, September and we're really looking forward to that. And we have a 15 year old grandson who's doing really well in sport and all the rest of it we would love as grandparents our grandchildren to have a life and joy and pleasure and fulfillment all in the same way that we did but there's another part of us when we see what's happening in the world around us saying lord please come and take your body out of this world and then come back and institute a kingdom of righteousness for a thousand years because i don't know about you guys on the screen at the moment but um, when we see what's going on around at the world at the moment i don't know um, just how much more this poor old world can take but I know that we're here for a reason. I know that we're here for um, His purposes, and every day we wake up, we know that we have um, a responsibility on that day to take whatever opportunities He gives us to spread the message of Jesus. And this is um, what 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 we've um, been crying out for. And G- and Paul is speaking here that the hidden wisdom of God has been plain. To all of mankind since the Garden of Eden and since the cross 2,000 years ago, the wisdom of God has been open to the entire population of this world. And you know, it rests upon our shoulders to do what the rulers of this age in verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. And I just want to finish off now as an encouragement to you. Just turn over one book to 2 Corinthians 4. And if this doesn't make you go to bed with a smile on your face tonight, I give up. It's just amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We start in verse 3, verses 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, that's freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, that is, you and I, everyone on that screen that I can say see, my wife and I here, and everyone who's a born again believer have a ministry to be filled with the holy spirit and share this this um this message that we have as we have received mercy we do not lose heart and boy that's a message for today we must not lose heart despite what's going on but we have renounced the hidden things of shame not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of god deceitfully but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And that's what's been happening least lately. People, so many unsaved people are coming up to people that are talking to me and saying they're asking the questions and they're coming to Christians. In verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church again. For it is God... Who commanded the light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ and that is if that doesn't just blow your mind I don't know we are being transformed moment by moment to share in the glory that god has given jesus christ because we in romans chapter 8 it tells us we were predestined sorry we were foreknown we were predestined we were called we were justified and what's the last thing we're going to be glorified Glorified. (laughs) when we're taken to heaven when we are co-heirs in all things with jesus christ our lord and you know um I can, I've been trying to imagine that over the last few weeks, what it would be like to be in heaven, what it would be like to be in, in, in the new Jerusalem and all the rest of it. And these minds that we have cannot even comprehend what joy that we are going to have when we are with um, Jesus together in heaven um, in the presence of the Father Um, uh, you know simply because we believed the message of the cross I was saved by a tract given to me by a pastor 30 years ago that explained to me why Jesus spent six hours on the cross my wife was saved in a church where a trembling nervous young pastor Gave the gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ and His death and sacrifice on the cross. He gave that to the congregation, just like Paul, in fear and in trepidation and with trembling. But the moment my wife was, and so please, I want all of us now to to just really take away from this study that Paul in his trembling and in his weakness and in his stumbling ability to speak, still delivered a message that unleashed the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And that was his task. Our task is to do whatever we are required to do here in Perth and here in Western Australia, here in the wheat belt, here in India, over there in India, we are to take the message of Jesus Christ to the people who are wondering what on earth is going on in this world and who are stumbling and trying to comprehend the wisdom that this world is putting forward at the moment. And that is just, uh, it's our responsibility. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ and we have the, the only message of hope for this world at the moment and um, I thank you for coming on I like it when there's more people here because we can have more discussion but um, but uh, we were we were um, governed by circumstances uh, tonight so I uh, I pray God bless you for the for the week I, I ask you that um, that you retain the, the, the core of this message that we have the message of the Christ, that we, need Christ to, that we need. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> <that>? Oh, Stuart, <laughs> you. <laughs> All right. Listen, um, uh, has anyone got any questions or testimonies? Because I tell you what, um, some amazing things have been happening this week based on that message. Um, has any got any, any, any um, you know, things?
1: Can, that- I ask, can I ask a question, please, Stuart?
0: Yes, you can.
1: That lovely tongue twister you gave us that started with vicarious and and ending with atoning,
2: you went a little bit fast. Would you mind just (laughs) (laughs)
0: reading that?
2: Okay. Okay, I
0: don't even need to look (laughs) at it. I know what it
2: means, but I just want the words.
0: All right, so it's vicarious. Mm
2: -hmm, In place of.
0: Redeeming.
1: Ah, thank you.
0: Substitutionary. Right. Atoning.
2: Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you. Yeah. Don't try that on a person who doesn't understand. <laughs> just just keep it simple. I just thought it was the Afrikaans
1: background that I don't understand at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I don't know if it's the Afrikaans or not. But, uh, yeah, look, it's just the message of the cross. It's the power of God and it's the wisdom of God. And, you know, I had to really go back to the start when I was uh, started the study in, in Corinthians because I got saved by the message of the cross. My wife got saved by the message of the cross. I'd like to know from, from, all, from some of you here, if you're willing to say, how did you get saved? What was that point when you got saved? Anyone want to share? Some yeah. of us don't have them. Yeah, Jill. Jill's put her hand up. Please share, Jill.
1: Um, I was in a, a course at um, a local Anglican church. It was called the Why course. Yeah. The question was, was Jesus Lord lunatic or liar? Yeah. And I knew just enough to know that he wasn't a lunatic and he wasn't a liar. So I threw the book Behind me, and said, "I'm done. <laughs> I'm
2: convinced." He has to
0: be Lord. <laughs> he has to be Lord.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who else? I see you've all un- unmuted yourself. Come on, <laughs> be strong and be brave. How did you get Laura? Me, cousin
1: uh, Stuart. I, yeah. I, I'm actually an old brother girl. I used. To, I grew up in North Perth, brethren. I didn't realise. Hey, yeah, no. yeah. Sorry?
0: The best Christians start off as brethren.
1: Yeah, that's why my roots, I just want to go back to studying God's word and to really read it again and again and again. But anyway, I got saved by understanding what sin was and that I was a sinner. And it was through it was through um, a guest speaker that we had at our church and it, yeah. the lights just... Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, I, I amazing. was read I was reading this little um, tract that my past brethren pastor gave me. Wait, can, a, can
1: I ask you who who was your past brethren?
0: Moffat Lindsay, a Scotsman.
1: Oh wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. And he gave me this little um, um, tract of six Jesus six hours on the cross. And I was in a little plane flying up to the gold mine where I was working, everyone else was asleep. And I was um, not going to sleep, I was bored. And I thought, well, I might as well read this thing. While... And I cried out, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And the person who yeah. took me on the plane said, shut up.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and when, I got,
0: when I got to the mine, um, I rushed to the, to the phone in the village rang my wife and said, guess what, guess what? She said, what, what? And I said, I believe, I believe. And she said, quick, ring Moffat. I said, I can't, go, I can't ring Moffat. I'm going to work. Um, but you ring Moffat. And, you know, it was, it was, an, it was a, I'm a sinner and I need a saviour. Uh, yeah,
1: that, that's and, exactly it. And I just think in today's world, the sociology, the, the counseling, the psychology, it teach everything it teaches us, teaches people in this world that you are good. We are good. are yeah, not, yeah. yeah. not good. We're not good.
0: We're that. wretched.
1: We're sinful, and that's 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 a hard barrier to come across and to it try is. and explain. So yeah. I try not to use the word sin because that's so offensive mm-hmm. in this world. But I use the word brokenness, and then yeah. I kind of brokenness <laughs> somehow is accepted is accepted better. I guess I don't know, yeah. but
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But that's my little
0: yeah. spiel. And it was, it was the message of the cross. It was the message of the
3: cross that got me. Um, uh, Anyone else? And also 1997, uh, we were were born and brought up in my grandparents' house. In 1997, at the time I was 16 years old, I failed my 10th standard, simply roaming here and there at my village.
2: Yeah,
3: And uh, one day, uh, just I went out of my village, an evangelist, uh, his name is Asi Rodham, just he was going, uh, just a solitary place, just to, to have fellowship with God. Yeah. So, he saw, just, he was going, when he was going, he saw me and just called me, brother, Could you please come with me for prayer? So... At that time, just I went with him and he shared about Jesus Christ. So, really, incredible changes took, in, took place in my life. So, I accepted Jesus Christ at that moment as my personal savior. Uh, now, it is 23 years So, I, since I started walking with Jesus. So, God changed my life.
0: Oh, that's brilliant! Yeah. Brilliant. In 2000, yeah. Pardon. No, that, that's, that's, you know, um, you would just happen to be wandering and the evangelist just happened to be passing by. But you, God, God designed you, everything. God knew it, you know, from before, Amazing, sir. In this world that it, he, had you, he had you in his sights. Um, it, and what it was you?
3: amazing, 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 sir. Yeah.
0: And your brother, what how did you get saved? Un- un- unmute yourself,
4: David. Us, do you hear
0: my voice, sir? Yes, yes, I yes can. Sir. tell us how you got saved. Yeah,
4: when sir, when when I was studying MSc in a hostel at that time, I was in depression, sir. Yes, sir. I don't have peace in my heart at the engage. At that time, one night, I I was sleeping in my room. So at that time, one brother who was a Christian came to my hostel and put a gospel meeting. At that time, one student uh, went to every room to call the students to the prayer meeting. Uh, he also came to my room. At that time... Just to, I was sleeping on boxes. It means uh, some boxes uh, in your line. I slept on that. He came to me and uh, wake up me, Brother Devadas. There was a gospel meeting on upside stair. So you please come attend that meeting. At the time, I told him, Brother, I don't want to come to meeting. I don't have mind to hear anything because I don't have peace in my heart, no interest. Please leave me. I told him. He went to another room and called student. He went to every room. Again, he came to me, sir. And again, he came to me asked brother, please, brother, come, brother. You no need to hear. Only you come and sit and only. You don't know, need to hear. Just only come and sit. He asked me again, sir. But uh, I didn't uh, hear his voice. Again, he went to another student's another room and calling the students. Third time also, he came to me, sir, again. So he called me, brother, please, every student to, uh, already came, brother, you just come and sit there. He requested me, sir. So at that time, I changed my mind. I went to upstairs and joined in the gospel meeting. At that time, his brother, uh, who came to uh, that night, he started, he was speaking Mark chapter 5. There was a young man in that chapter who always been uh, among the tombs outside of the village. So my situation also same. I have that situation. So really, I was touched. I was touched that the word of God at that time, sir, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I took baptism in 2009. January 19th, sir. After two years, God showed me his mercy to do his ministry in a village, sir. That's my small testimony. That's wonderful.
0: Oh, that's I wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. And not only that, but um, uh, uh, I got a, um, uh, an email from Devadas uh, early last week that they had uh, 20 salvations from a group that they've been working with in, in nice a, another um, village um, Yes, who... sir
4: that that is out, outreach pro outreach village sir actually that is not our main church eh? every friday i went to there, sir among that people
0: Yep. and you and and 20 of them have accepted jesus christ that I means it's gone yeah look gone. you know It's amazing amazing what's happening. Mm. It is absolutely amazing. Um, Who am I going to pick on next? Uh, uh, Come on, Sharon, (laughs) don't hide behind your hands.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I became a Christian in 1984. Um, I first gave my heart to the Lord when I was 16 in the Meriden Church of Christ. Yeah. And then just got involved in other, you know, like nothing bad, but just, you know, went off into the non-Christian world. In 1984, somebody came along to visit my house who was in the same Muck and Boon Church of Christ youth group, and which I was in. And I was very jealous of what she was saying. And uh, I thought, I want to be like that again. I want that feeling. So I went off to a Pentecostal little church in Augusta. And uh, no, sorry, it was at a play group. And this lady um, just came up to me and started talking about Jesus. And I just went home that night and, yeah, just um, made a decision. Actually, I went to their Bible store. They freaked me out because they all had their hands in the air. And I just said, this is crazy. <laughs> and uh, I got into the Pentecostal scene for quite a few years after that. But, yes. yeah, so um, just made a commitment in 1984, just after my second daughter was born. And, um, yeah, just gone on from there, really.
0: Oh, that's oh, yeah. brilliant! And I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll tell you a little secret that uh, I've been in the Meriden Church of Christ too. Ah, oh, what year? Well, um, that would be probably somewhere around uh, two thousand and five, two thousand and
2: six. Okay, we—we uh, we were there. I would have been doing the music.
0: <laughs> ah, because we, we were part of a church, Southside Church, that came up and joined with uh, the Church of Christ and one other church. And we had sort of like a, a, a put on a, a, a an evening for the youth in, in Meriden. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a, an amazing time. But the, the pastor was a really nice young guy uh, nice. and was really made us welcome in the church. So, you know, he invited us in and, and we had uh, coffee with him in, in the Meriden Church of Christ uh, office. So that would have been, yeah, 15 years ago, probably.
2: I that would have been Ray Hockley. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, 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 I, I'd have to look up my notes, but, yeah. uh, oh, there but you go. Uh, it was an amazing time. Small, small world. Small
2: world. <laughs> we probably met then, we just don't remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we probably sort of, I, I probably took your chair or something like that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh. Oh, that's brilliant. Look, um, um, Scott, is 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 your son going to tell us how he got saved?
2: I don't know. You have to ask him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Unmute myself.
2: Uh, No, look.
3: I think one of the other ladies there said uh, before. Not all of us. Whoops! Something's. uh, You're frozen.